You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning. Uh, one more time, good morning. There we... how, many, how many like the snow? Any snowbirds? Any people like, not snowbirds, but like snow? I mean, you like driving in it? Yeah, it's just good to see yesterday, Friday, kids out there making snow people, snowmen, all that. The old day, you don't see many kids out doing that, sliding, sledding, all that kind of stuff. It's been fun, so... Uh, when it snows, man, I, I love the snow. Uh, I like being in the, in the wintertime, but I tell you what, I like summertime too. Hey, it's thankful for being here today. We're looking through a series from John chapter 13 through John chapter 18 called The Farewell Discourse. And last week, Pastor Steve got us started with that from chapter 13 and that great passage of Jesus serving his disciples by washing their feet, which was something that took great humility and only a servant would do that. And, and Jesus is a servant. In fact, the Bible says we are never more like Jesus than when we serve. And may we be those kinds of individuals, amen, that give God our best uh, by serving. Uh, I was just concerned last week about Steve's uh, statement of Phil Collins. That kind of bothered me. Uh, but way to go, Steve. We're kind of getting, you know, taking the bandwidth out here as well. So it's, it's good. But last week, Steve made a statement that just stuck in my mind here. I just jotted down. He said, live for the glory of God and we exist for the glory of God, that our lives would, would magnify God and make much of him and who he is, and to see God for who he is, that God is a God who is, we often say at Antioch, is not a, a detached deity, uh, that he is a God that is present, and he is a God who is with us. If you have your uh, Bible this morning, I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 13, and John chapter 14 will be our place of study today. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump right into the passage, and uh, God has a good word for us today from his word. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for the privilege of assembly. Uh, it's good for us to gather corporately and, and worship you, to express to you uh, through the lyrics of music and through our time in the word and through conversation that you are a God uh, that deserves to be lifted high, and we magnify your name today. We thank you for the truth of your word. Use uh, these moments, God, to change our lives and to encourage us. We say it often at Antioch that we walk in this space and this place and we bring life with us. And so we ask today that God, you would do what only you can do in each person's heart and life. Uh, for those who are watching online, we pray the same prayer. And God, today, uh, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the truth of your word. We pray and give these moments to you, we ask in Jesus' name. And together, church, we said, amen. amen. John chapter 13 records the disciples on a Thursday evening experiencing the Passover. Steve processed that and walked us through that and the significance of the Passover and what that meant. During the Passover meal, Jesus made a rather stunning statement when he made this statement, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
Can you imagine what that must have been like for that dinner? And they heard that statement. It was stunning, overwhelming. Who's going to do? Who's that going to be? In fact, the Bible says that John leaned toward Jesus and asked with the question, Lord, who is it? Who is it? And he replied, the one who takes the piece of bread after I have dipped it. When he dipped it in the bread, Jesus gave it to Judas. And the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said, what you are going to do, do it quickly. No one at the room knew exactly what Judas was being told by Jesus. Now, you have 13 people around the room. They're reclining around a table, all kinds of conversation. They weren't sure what was going on. And they, they saw Judas leave and they thought, well, he's probably, he was the money guy and maybe going to buy uh, some food for the feast or maybe he was going to give money to the poor. Weren't sure exactly what that was all alike. And then in chapter 13, verse 36, Peter asked Jesus this question, where are you going? Where are you going? And Jesus answered, you are not able to go where I go, but I will follow you later. I will follow you later. And then in verse 37 of John 13, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Again, sitting around that table, can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine just the tension in the room? Here is Jesus telling Peter, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And you fast forward uh, to John chapter 18, you find Peter in the garden, warming himself by the fire. A servant girl says, you, you look familiar. I've, I've seen you someplace. Oh no, that's, you haven't seen me. And he, he steps by that fire, warming the fire. And, and, and Jesus says, the rooster's gonna crow three times when you deny me three times. And he heard the rooster crow for the third time. And Peter was, was broken. But that wasn't the end of the story. You fast forward to John chapter 21 and, and Jesus and Peter come together, all right? And, and, and Peter is, is empowered by Jesus. And you look at Acts, the book of Acts, and how Peter proclaimed boldly the name of Jesus Christ. And so I tell you, church, God is faithful, amen? No matter what we do, there's times that we, we live in denial of who Jesus is, or maybe we, we live in a way that would be, uh, in a way that just doesn't honor Jesus Christ, and, and, and Jesus is faithful even in our times of unfaithfulness. And so in this season and in this setting, the disciples are totally unaware what Jesus is going to experience in the final hours of his life. He will endure unimaginable suffering and eventually be crucified. And so if we move to John chapter 14, Jesus in the opening verses of John chapter 14 writes these words to reassure his disciples and to encourage his disciples with three statements of hope. First, the priority of encouragement, then the reality of heaven, and the exclusivity of Jesus. 
the priority of encouragement, the reality of heaven, and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible here, John chapter 14, verse 1, the priority of encouragement. Here's what Jesus says to his followers. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's given in the imperative. And so he's encouraging his followers, don't be discouraged. They're not sure about their future. He, He writes these words to encourage him, to encourage his followers. Here's Jesus just simply hours away from the cross, from his crucifixion, from illegal religious trials and and governmental trials and all the beatings he uh, was beaten and then to be hung on a cross for the sins of the world. He's only hours away from the cross and so he turns his attention prior to the cross to these words of encouragement. In in reality, he's reassuring his followers with a promise. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The heart, the, the heart represents the core of your being. Your heart and my heart is the very center uh, that, that drives my life, the control center of your thoughts and your emotions and your desires. The heart speaks of our mind and the inner self. Proverbs 4.23 puts it this way, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. And so Jesus is writing his disciples to, to guard their hearts from, from worry and anxiety, I, I, problems and pressure, the, the unknown. Let not your heart be troubled. The word troubled means to be upset or to be disturbed, uh, to be agitated, to stir up. It speaks of anxiety. So these disciples, not knowing their future, are overwhelmed by life itself And Jesus later on in John chapter 14, verse 27 says, peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you, I give unto you, let not your heart be troubled. So over and over again, he's reminding his disciples and his followers, be encouraged. It's been said that encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Romans chapter 15, verse 5, speaking of God, that God is the God of endurance and God is the God of encouragement. I just got to believe in this room today, there's some people sitting in these seats or watching online who, who just need to know, let not your heart be troubled. That, that God is present, that, that God is trustworthy. You can put your trust and your cares in him. And so when Jesus gives a command, he gives the ability to obey the command. You and I literally have a choice, a choice to be anxious or a choice not to be anxious. We live in an anxious culture right now, all kinds of things going on and the uncertainty of life. And when those things happen, we need to put our trust in Jesus and who he is And the key to peace, Jesus is saying, is to replace anxiety that you experience with the certainty of who Jesus is and the promises of God. Amen, church? Rest on the promises of God. Rest on his promises. There'll be times when you get discouraged. There'll be times when you want to just check it in. 
There's times you quit doing the things that you should be doing as a person, things you should be doing that God has called you to do. And your hope of enduring is not found in your character or strength, but the hope of your endurance is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That word believe means trust in me. Put your trust in who I am. Author Paul Tripp uses the term identity amnesiacs. Identity amnesiacs. And by that he means we forget who we are in Christ and what Christ is able to do in any situation. We just kind of forget that Jesus is with us and that God is able. We become these identity amnesiacs. So in what area of your life do you find your life invaded by trouble, by discouragement, by uncertainty? These words that Jesus spoke some 2,000 years ago are just as certain today as they were when he spoke them. Trust me. Trust me. All throughout scripture, we're taught to trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That word trust means just to, to rely on, just kind of just roll yourself over on him to rely and put your trust in him. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, the Bible says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you trust in him. I tell you what, man, our, our mind can go crazy places, can it? Crazy places. We put our trust and our reliance on God and who he is. He is faithful. So Jesus is saying to his disciples and you and I, keep on believing. Keep on trusting. No matter what you're going through, trust. God is a trustworthy God. God is faithful. Jesus spoke these words in John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Church, that's a good word, isn't it? That we can be infused with encouragement and courage in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, we are presented with this priority of encouragement. He just starts with that. A lot of things going on. A lot of things are going to be happening with the disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled, stirred up, disturbed, but trust in me. Then second of all, he talks about the reality of heaven, what heaven's going to be like. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way that I am going. So Jesus now is encouraging and directing his focus to the reality of heaven. Church family, heaven is a real place. Amen. And real people go there with their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So heaven's not a figment of the imagination. Heaven is a real place created by God for his people to live with him forever, forever. In his book, Heaven, Randy Alcorn writes, when Jesus told his disciples, 
In my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He deliberately chose common physical terms. House, rooms, place to describe where he was going and what he was preparing for us. Jesus, he goes on to say, is promising his followers and you and I that after his departure from earth to heaven, he would provide massive amounts of living units in his father's expansive heavenly estate to accommodate his followers. Alcorn goes on to say, from Revelation chapter 21, verse 15 and 16, about the new Jerusalem, he says this, the city's exact dimension are measured by an angel and reported to be 12,000 stadia, the equivalent of 1,400 miles in length, width, and height. He goes on to say this would be a metropolis of the size in the middle of the United States, would stretch from Canada to Mexico, and from the Appalachian Mountains to the coast of California, the ground level of that city will be nearly 2 million square miles. He goes on to write, given the dimensions of a 1,400 mile cube, if the city consisted in different levels and each story were a generous 12 feet high, the city could have over 600,000 stories. If they were on different levels, billions of people could occupy the new Jerusalem with many square miles per person. Heaven is a real place that Jesus is preparing, God is preparing for us. We don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. We can look at scripture and realize that, that heaven is a real place and real people go there. And so Jesus wanted to give his disciples and us something tangible to look forward to. You know, it's something when you have a vacation coming or there's a, a special event coming, you, you, you anticipate that and you look forward to that. Church family, you and I can look forward to heaven. I'm concerned and I believe in my own heart, I have to look at this. We get so attached to this, don't we? We get so attached to this, we don't really think very much of heaven as we should. This is a good reminder for us to know that heaven is a real place and God is preparing a place for us. Think about that. God himself who spoke this world into existence is going to create a place for us to live eternally. I hope that gives you encouragement. Amen, church? That there's more to life beyond this life. There's more to life beyond this life. The phrase, and if I go, does not communicate uncertainty. The word, if I go, is a certain word that means when I go. When I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus is saying, I will take you with me to my Father's house in heaven, that where I am, Jesus is, there you will be also. Church, this is not a figment of our imagination. This is the living word of God. Amen? That heaven is a real place and real people go there. In John 14, 4, Jesus ends his promise with the words of insurance 
and you will know the way to where I am going. You will know the way to where I am going. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is a common passage read at, at funerals. There's just a good word here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul writes, For we know that if this tent, and they're talking about the, the body, and the word tent means we have this, just this temporary body that we live in. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, a building eternal in the heavens. For in this tent... In this body, we groan. Anybody got any groaning going on here? All right? Just, you wake up in the morning, your back hurts or whatever. You know, the older I get, the more I groan. All right? My, my gut feed and I got, what the what's this stuff I got on my, my, I got, what is it? Uh, I, got, I got all kinds of problems. I mean, it just, I got my elbows are hurting, my legs are hurting. Okay? I mean, we're groaning in this body. We're groaning. For in this body, the tent represents a body. We groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please him. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at, at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Church family, it's by faith that we believe in Jesus. I, I never met Jesus. It, it's by faith that heaven is a real place and real people go there. And so he gives us this encouragement. He describes for us heaven. Now just for a moment here, listen to what Peter wrote just a few months later after this encouragement from Jesus in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, Christ must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So Peter, when he heard Jesus speak from John 14 verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, I prepared a place for you. We find later on that that Peter, right church, he believes it, right? He, he believes that heaven is a real place. And he described it to his audience as he moves through the book of Acts. C.S. Lewis writes, heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is a reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly. For all that can be shaken will be shaken and only the unshakable remains. Heaven is a real place. Heaven, church, will be incredible. Heaven will be unimaginable. You've traveled some, you've seen places, you say, oh, oh that's, I, I can't imagine, it's just awesome. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? The priority of encouragement, the reality of heaven, and then the exclusivity of Jesus. Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way? Right? Just, that's a good question. 
Thomas is right on, one of the disciples. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but or through me. If you had known me, verse 7, you would have known, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on you, do you know him? From now on, excuse me, do you know him? And you have seen him. Thomas is asking about the way in this section. Lord, we don't know where you're going and, and how can we know, how can we know the way? What Thomas is asking about is not about a path. It's not about a place. It's about a person. The way is a person and it's Jesus Christ. When it comes to the God of heaven, Jesus doesn't give us advice or direction. Jesus gives us himself. There's no signpost and heaven is here. There's no map that he gives to us. Heaven represents him. He gives himself. What Jesus gives of himself is conclusive. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Those are what I would call dogmatic statements. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is absolutely clear. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's one way Jesus. It's one way Jesus. There's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus. We live right now in a culture, it's been before, but even growing now, a term called universalism. And that term communicates that really, if you're a good person, really everybody is going to get to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. And what the Bible says through Jesus Christ is not something that is heavy-handed, but the way to Jesus is exclusive. It's not about being a member of a church or being a good person or having good parents or having a great job or whatever it may be. It's it's about Jesus. He is the only way. You've been driving, right? You see a sign that says one way, right? One way. So we're even exclusive in our culture, aren't we? You just got to go one way. You can't go the same thing with Jesus. It's one way, Jesus. This verse expresses the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life our relationship with God is only possible through our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity is exclusive because there's only one way. We met in our prayer gathering this morning. Appreciate the guys that come and pray over Pastor Steve and I. And in that time before we began to pray, one of the men, Ken, talked about Billy Graham and how that Billy Graham, when he preached over and over again, he, he always brought out John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Isn't that a great statement, church? That, that's a statement of encouragement. That's a statement that reminds us it's not about us, what we do, but about who Jesus is and what he has done and what he does for us. 
Jesus alone brings people to God. He is the way, not a way. Through me means faith in me. This is the core statement of the gospel. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Peter would write later in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among God whereby you must be saved. Excuse me, given among men by which you must be saved. So Peter says it's just, it's just Jesus. There's no other way. Only through the person of Jesus Christ. Religion says, look inside yourself for salvation. Look inside yourself for salvation. The gospel says your only hope for salvation is outside of yourself in the person of Jesus. You can't make it to heaven on your own. It's only through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he went to the cross in just a few hours to experience a horrific suffering for you and I. Died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he rose again that we might know that we can have eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard it said before that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Merrill Tenney, who was a professor of New Testament and Greek, writes, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Now look at John 14 and verse 7. If you had known me, Jesus said, you would have known my father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. That's a great statement. By the fact that you have seen him, Jesus and the father are one and they didn't quite grasp that and get that. If you had known me, you would have known my father for also. You'd have known what he is doing through me and going to do through you. That phrase... Some Bible scholars say that phrase, you had known me, seems to imply a slight rebuke to Thomas. That, that, you know, if you had known me, if you had known me, the disciples had been with Jesus for how many years? Three years. And yet they seem to have missed the truth that Jesus and the Father are one. They just missed it. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I was, and they picked up stones to stone him. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, my, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That talks about our security and confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. Once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, no one can take that away from you. 
That, that's good news, church. No one can take it away. No one can snatch that away from you. The dynamic and the truth of the gospel that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The priority of encouragement, the reality of heaven, the exclusivity of Jesus. A couple application questions. First, how do you respond to anxiety and fear? How do you respond to anxiety? Do you just go deeper into that? Did you, I mean, at first for me, it's like, I'm kind of in a little bit, and then it's like, okay, Bob, got to move out of this, all right? That's why it's important, I believe, to memorize scripture and, and, and speak back to yourself, God's word to yourself, to encourage you. Again, let not your heart be troubled. That's the imperative. It's a command. Bob, don't let your heart be troubled. I've got a choice to make, right? Am I going to let myself be disturbed, agitated, hurting? Second question, what unhealthy attachments diminish your desire for heaven? What is there on this planet or in your life that just diminishes the significance of heaven? I'm not saying we should be, you know, it's been said so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? right? But to realize, we, we've, and for me personally, just to go back to this again, and just a good reminder, Bob, that, that heaven is real. We get so attached to this world. We get so attached to each other, right? right? We just forget that there is an eternal place for us. And by the way, this life is so, so brief, isn't it? So brief. I just turned 65 a few months ago, and it's just like that, just boom, goes like what? How does that happen, right? Any people 65 and over with me get a witness to that, right? When I was 22 years old, it just seemed like life just drug on. When I was in high school, it was like, when's this going to be over with? Now it's like Monday, Friday, Sunday. It's just like what? How? It just goes by really quick. Life is short, it's brief. Are we, are we attaching ourselves too, tethering ourselves too strong to what we have here? Again, I, I love my family, I love my wife. I enjoy what I get to do. I, 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 just, there's a lot of things we can, and we should enjoy those things, but those things ought not to be a, a deterrence, amen, to the ultimate joy. Third question, are you living in a way that is consistent with the truth of God's word. Is there something right now in your life that you need to redirect something? It's just not, it's not right. And you got to, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our life would draw us and move us to what really is truth. The truth of this book that we call the Bible. Amen, church? The word of God. And the fourth question would be this. Have you put your faith, have you put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ? Has there been that defining moment for you? For me, I was 16 years old, sitting right about here. There's only about like six rows in our church, two rows, like it's just six of them. I grew up in a home, my dad was a pastor, so I grew up hearing the word, hearing the truth. 
But it wasn't until I was 16 that I, I heard and I really heard that the gospel was for me. And that day, here I'm a preacher's kid, you know, small church, 100 people, stand up. Back in those days, nothing wrong, you know, go forward. Met my dad right here. My dad put his arms around me. We kneeled right here. In Romans 10, 11 and 12. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? For with the heart, man believes into righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. Have you put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And as a Christ follower today, maybe God, God is moving in your heart and life to, just to, re, to remind us that there's more to life than this life. And this life is important, right? And we should serve it well. But there's more to this life. It's a place called heaven for us. And so by this church, we don't check out as a church and kind of just get weird or whatever, you know. But we just know there's something greater ahead for us. It's like when you have a vacation coming and you planned it, you've done all the details, you've made all the reservations, and it's February and it's not till June. What, what, you know, you, you kind of work through life and all, but you just, you just can't wait till you get to go. Wouldn't that be something for us and for me to have that same thing about heaven that we just keep doing what we're doing, but we look out there and say, you know, heaven is a real place and real people go there who have their faith in Jesus Christ. I believe, church, if we have a, we have a greater belief in heaven, it would affect our lives in a very real and positive way to live better and more even well on this planet with that living hope. Peter talked about that living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that never fades away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this living hope. We have heaven that is being reserved for us in that great church that God has already reserved a place for you and for me as Christ's follower. We don't deserve it. It's all by God's grace. We're saved by grace. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the significance of this passage in John chapter 14. God, use your word to encourage us to remind us that there is a heaven. To remind us that it's only one way through Jesus. It's not about being a Baptist or about being a church member or about being a good person. It's about Jesus. Only through Jesus. Before I close out this prayer, you say right now, man, Bob, I'm just going through a season right now of difficulty, overwhelmed, discouraged, 
I, I just, I need hope. I need encouragement. You'd raise your hand and say, that's, that's me today in this room. All right. Thank you, church, for being honest. Every section, okay. All right. Thank you. Every hand matters, represents you as a person. I don't know all the details there. You do. And to, even right where you sit now, just to pray and say, whatever that thing is, just give it to God. It doesn't mean he's going to make, he might not take it away today, but he's going to use, he might even use what you're going through to strengthen your faith, to produce in your life even staying power. You say, Bob, I'm not sure of, I don't really know what it means to, to put my faith in Jesus, right? But I, I, I'm interested. I want to know more about that. You'd raise your hand and say, Bob, that's me. I just want to know more about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ, to know that I'm going to go to heaven when I draw my last breath on this planet. You'd raise your hand and say, that's me right now. Anyone would say, that's me by a raised hand. And thank you. Thank you. Amen. Father, do your work in our hearts and lives, we pray. Thank you for your faithfulness. I th pray for those who raised their hand a moment ago. Uh, you know the details of what they're experiencing. And so we understand the weight of that. And so we pray, God, your work in their hearts, that you put people around them, that you may be even using this season to produce in their life endurance and perseverance. So encourage them, we pray. I I pray for the individual who raised their hand a moment ago about an interest in what it would mean to be uh, having faith in Jesus. And so I pray you draw his heart to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.